Well, I learned this week that there's a British man who is now $1 million richer than he was last week. His name is Aaron Walshaw, and he ran into a convenience store, and he was in a rush, and he was trying to decide if he even had enough time to, to get a lottery ticket. And it just so happened he got up to the counter at the same time as a woman. And the woman noticed that he was in a rush, and so she insisted that he go in front. And so he decided, I've got time. I'll, I'll go ahead and buy my ticket. And it just so happened that he won the million dollars. Now, I don't recommend playing the lottery. I don't recommend playing the odds with what God has given to us. But I'm happy for Aaron. I mean, that's huge to, to win a million dollars. I just can't imagine what that's like. But if Aaron were a friend of mine, if I knew him, I'd, I'd warn him. And I'd tell him that really the level of your income or riches really has nothing to do with the level of your satisfaction. A good number of lottery winners, you know, people who have won more than a million, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, have found that money has only created new issues or compounded old issues. In the words of the late theologian and rapper Notorious B.I.G., Mo Money, Mo Problems. He wasn't really a theologian, I made that part up, but... It's interesting when the world, you know, through experiences like that, they find out that so many of the things that God tells us in the Bible, uh, we find those things to be true. Now, unfortunately, they, they would never admit that. They might not even know that, but just through experience, they realize the truth of Scripture. Unfortunately, there's a lot of so-called Christians that need to learn those same things. There are pastors using God's name and His power and giving people the idea that God wants to provide you with essentially the same things that the world is seeking. They attach God's name to it, but yet they're really seeking after the same things that the world is. They believe that and are teaching that true faith brings health and it, it brings riches, but we know that those things, on their own, they don't bring satisfaction, they don't bring fulfillment, and they don't bring joy. So the question is, what does? Paul talks a little bit about that in Philippians 4, 12-13. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You know, one of the things that's always intrigued me about the Bible is its seemingly upside-down, right-side-up kingdom of God. There's no other place that we observe that more than in generosity. I think that traditional worldly wisdom would tell you that the more that you have, the happier you'll be. Now, people, of course, will acknowledge, at least with their mouths, that that's not true. But in their attitudes, in their actions, the things that they choose to do, it reveals that they believe that the more you have, the happier you're going to be. On the other side, the more you give, that means the less you'll have. And so the truth that people walk away with is this, that the more you give away, the less happy you'll be. And maybe that's why we find it so hard to give or why when we do give, we kind of do it half-heartedly or, or begrudgingly. But there's a problem with that. This week, I went past the billboard for Planet Fitness and I started laughing as soon as I saw it. Also, the billboard said it was a great big, very simple, uh, but it's a great big purple billboard and it simply said $10 a month, no commitment. Now that sounds like a good thing, but the reason I started laughing is because I have a friend who has a connection with somebody in the corporate office at Planet Fitness. And Planet Fitness has discovered that if you only charge $10 to join the gym, the chances are a lot of people, they want to join the gym and they think it's only $10 and so they join the gym, but yet they never step foot in there. Or maybe they go you know, two, three times and then they never go back. But $10 is a little enough amount, 
that usually most people don't bother canceling. So Planet Fitness really makes the majority of their money based on people who essentially are, are too lazy to, uh, to choose to, to not pay their $10 anymore. So essentially they're making their money off of people who really aren't in the gym getting fit. What we find in the Bible is this, that God, the giver of all good things, is pleased not with the size of our joy, is pleased with the size of our joy. He's not just pleased with the size of our gift. I think that God would choose a small gift with big joy over a big gift with small joy anytime, any day of the week, because big joy is rooted in a belief in a big God. See, I think that story about Planet Fitness sometimes resembles a little bit of our commitment to giving. We sort of give and we, we just give a little bit, and so it's really no big deal. There's really no sacrifice. There's really no commitment on our part. But essentially what the Bible teaches is that the more we give, the happier we are. It, it kind of takes what the world believes and flips it on its head. And, and I, I wish there was some good way to illustrate this in a way that we could understand. I wonder how many of you know anything about farming? My guess is there's quite a few of you. Unfortunately for us, we have a lot in common with the agriculture, agricultural culture in, in Jesus' time. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, we read this. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. I've got to be honest with you, this is a challenging series for me. I mean, nobody really likes to talk about money, and I sure, certainly don't want to give anybody the impression that I'm standing up here as an example of how to handle money. And it also, another reason why it's difficult is because it feels like I have a bit of a conflict of interest. I mean, here I am talking about giving money to the church, and my income, my salary comes from the church. But I'm sure that a lot of you probably know me, and you know my personality. I'm not confrontational. I don't like controversy. And so the reason why I would talk about something like this is because there has to be a good enough reason for me to do it. And generosity is one of those things. Jesus talked about generosity so much because He knew that our stuff, our money, and our possessions, and our time, any resource we have, that would be the one thing that would stand as a barrier between us and God. Generosity reveals so much about what we really believe about God. And in this passage here in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes two different kinds of people, the cheerful givers and the reluctant givers. Now, when it comes to giving in worldly economy, we would say, you know, who cares? If you give $10, whether it's with a cheerful heart or a reluctant heart, who cares? 
Who cares about your motives or your motivation or the heart behind it? But in God's economy, He cares. We're all about the bottom line. You know, $10 is $10, but God wants to know about your heart. I love the way John Piper describes it. He talks about the two hearts. And what we need to understand, and the reason why this is such a big deal, is because reluctant givers show through their actions that what they really believe is that God is a taker. Cheerful givers, on the other hand, believe that God is a giver. So you see, generosity reveals a lot about what we really believe about God. And I believe that when it comes to these two people, one of them knows God and one doesn't. And so that's why generosity is such a big deal. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He's been collecting gifts from them and also from the Macedonian church and giving those to the church in Jerusalem. And so we talked about the Macedonian church last week. They're the ones that gave according to their need. It so said they gave even beyond their need. And so now Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to, to give in the same way, to do the same thing. So Paul doesn't just talk about generosity, though, in terms of just giving and receiving, but the language he uses is multiplying. And that's where we get to this farming illustration. He talks about farming. He says that, you know, when we give, it's like sowing seed. And you guys know this better than I do, that the more you sow, the more you reap. If you sow a little seed, you'll have a little harvest. If you sow a lot of seed, you're going to have a big harvest. And if you think about how farming has evolved over time, it's always about better yields, isn't it? I mean, it's always about you know finding the perfect row spacing and seed spacing and the right herbicide and fungicide and insecticide. I mean, we want to plant the maximum amount of seed possible, and then we want to protect that harvest to make sure that nothing is destroyed. So why in the world, if the goal is to get more, why in the world would anyone want to sow sparingly? You see, the difference between modern farming and farming in the biblical world is this, that, that they consumed the same things that, that they fed their animals with. It'd be like a, maybe a produce farmer today. And so the reason why, one of the reasons why they would maybe be tempted to sow sparingly is because of the fear of not having enough. You know, if I use all of my, my grain and I plant it all or plant most of it, if, if I plant a lot of it, what if I don't have enough to survive off of throughout the next year. So maybe it was an issue of, of feeling like, you know, maybe I wouldn't have enough. Maybe they're afraid of wasting seed, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the conditions weren't great for growing. And so they thought, you know, I'm just going to kind of put a little bit out there because I really don't know how it's going to do. And so they're just kind of unsure. They, they really don't know. They, they plant fearfully and begrudgingly because they really don't know what the future is going to bring. Some people are like that and they're giving. They give sparingly. They're afraid that they're not going to have enough left over. They're worried about maybe giving too much and, and finding out that it's being misused. And, and I think we need to, to use good judgment when it comes to our money. I had a situation this past week. I was in Indiana, and uh, I was in a town that had a pretty big uh, homeless population. And there were several people, and I'm one of those guys. I honestly don't give to every single person on the street that looks like they're asking for money. I don't do that. Um, but this guy came up to me and he asked me, he said, hey, do you have any money to spare? And I said, well, I said, um, what do you need? And he said, I just, I just need anything. I said, well, are you hungry? Have you eaten? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. I said, well, I'll get some lunch for you. He said, well, anything's good. He said, even, even if I can just get some money for beer or cigarettes, to be honest with you, that'd be great. And I said, hey, you're on your own when it comes to that. 
Um, but I said, if you're hungry, I'll get you something to eat. And I did. And so I think that's fine. I think we do have a responsibility uh, to be wise about how we give people money. But at the same time, is God going to hold us accountable because somebody misused something that we gave to them with a good heart? No. No, I don't believe that. So this whole idea of, of sowing sparingly, it really shows a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. It's this belief that God really wants to take from you. But that language is not consistent with the language in this passage. We read words like bountiful and overflow and increase and generous, surpassing, inexpressible. I mean, these are big words. So on the other hand, there's people who give bountifully. They know that the more they plant, the more they'll harvest, and so they're cheerful. And it's not that it's any easier for them. It's not that it's, you know, they're necessarily better off even. It's that they, they give cheerfully because they know that God will be faithful. And, and it's almost like they have a thrill about it. Like it's going to be a thrill to see how God is going to come through for them. It's exciting to see what God is going to do. They're almost giddy about it. And, and maybe you know somebody like this. I know some people that give like this. They're almost just giddy about it. They can't wait to see what God is going to do. And then... Uh, Paul, he quotes a psalm here, Psalm 112. He just quotes one verse, but I want to read the whole thing. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. It talks here about a man who fears the Lord, a man who delights in His commandment. That's really where generosity starts. It starts with the heart. <clears throat> Upright, righteous, not somebody who's honest. Somebody, And then it goes on to describe somebody who's gracious, merciful, somebody who gives freely, somebody who loves people. So at the very heart of generosity, it talks about our love for God, you know, fearing the Lord. And then it talks about our love for people, being gracious and being merciful. So hopefully you're starting to get an understanding of why generosity matters because if you remember, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love God and love people. When it comes to generosity, what is it all about? Our love for God and our love for people. And so what's the reward for fearing the Lord and for serving Him with our money? It says we don't have to be afraid of bad news. You know, even when bad things come along, it doesn't mean it's not going to come. But it just means that when bad news does come, we know that God is going to use that. It says that His heart is steady. In other words, the level of our joy doesn't coincide with our bank account. Just because our bank account is low doesn't mean our joy is low. Just because it's high doesn't mean it's high. It means that our heart is always steady. We know that God is faithful in whether we have much or whether we have little. And here's the funniest part about it. It says the wicked can't stand it. They look at us and they say, you know, I have more in the bank account than them. I have a nicer house and nicer cars. Why is he happier than me? Or, or they say, you know, this guy, he didn't plan very well. He didn't save up as much as I did. You know, what makes him so sure about his future? 
Well, just what it says in the psalm here. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I don't know about you, but my kids, they love to play in water. They like to water the flowers. They love to play in the slip and slide. And, you know, if they're out there and they're... uh, and they're watering the flowers, I'm going to keep filling the watering can as long as they're using it to water the flowers. And uh, if they're out there playing in the slip and slide, I'm going to keep the hose on for them as long as they're playing in the slip and slide. But as soon as the flowers are watered, I'm going to turn the hose off. As soon as they're done playing in the slip and slide, I'm going to turn the hose off. And it says here, "He he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply your seed. Now, that's not just for the sake of you being rich. That's not the end game. It's not that you're, you're generous and so God rewards you and you get rich and then that's all you have to do. That's not what it's talking about. That's why I preach so much against the health, wealth gospel because it points to us and it points to earthly things. But here it says we're going to have a harvest of righteousness. There's going to be more generosity, more thanksgiving, more joy, more love for one another. You see, when we're generous, it just keeps multiplying. But we're supposed to be dumping it out. It doesn't mean that we just gather up and, oh, this is what I have and God's blessed me and so now I can just enjoy it. No, we're supposed to keep dumping it out. He's going to keep filling it up just like my kids. If they're watering the flowers, I'm going to keep giving them water. If they're playing in the slip and slide having a good time, I'm going to keep the hose on. But the minute they're done, I'm going to turn it off. See, the idea is that when God gives us something, we continue to give it and continue to dump it out on other people. Generous literally means blessing on top of blessing. Deuteronomy 15 verses 9 through 10 says this, Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the, seven, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he, and he, cry, and he cries to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall receive to him freely, Excuse me, you shall give to him freely. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all the work and in all that you undertake. You see, when we are generous, it produces thanksgiving to God. And so a good question that we always need to ask ourselves is, does what I have point to me or does it point to God? And if it doesn't point to God, I think that we're misusing it. It says it right here in this passage that, that it's not just for supplying the saints. You know, that's, that's part of it. That part of generosity is supplying the saints, but it goes beyond that. So that it overflows with thanksgiving. You see, another thing that giving and generosity does is it builds unity. This was a gift that Paul was collecting from Gentile churches for a Jewish church. And so imagine the roads that that was built. I mean, there were, the Gentiles and the Jews, they were enemies. Uh, for a long time, Peter, he struggled with racism after Jesus you know, said the Gospels for everyone. He, he still struggled with his racism. And, and so this is one of those things that sort of helps bring Jews and Gentiles together. But you see, reluctant giving, when we have a reluctant heart, it's, it's not necessarily a money problem. It really comes down to the heart. When we're reluctant to give, it's because we care too much about the world. It's because we don't trust that God is going to provide. Either we are too small or we think that we're too small in His eye. 
Sometimes we think it's that he's too small, that he's not capable of taking care of us. But the Bible says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. You see, when God calls us to give, we don't have to worry or, or, or wonder about the future. We just have to trust. We just have to ask him. We sow generously because the more we sow, the bigger the harvest. And so his command to us is to give joyfully. Watch God provide. Free yourselves from the things of the world and simply see what God is going to do. And I can't tell you what that's going to look like. I can't tell you the kind of harvest that it'll be. The question for us is, you know, what do we give and how do we give? Well, here it maps out for us that first of all, we give regularly. That it's something that happens on a regular basis. That's what these people gave. They gave their offering every week. And I don't care what that looks like for you, but I just care that it's that you give regularly, that you ask God what He wants you to give and how often, and that you make a commitment to doing it, and then you do it. It needs to be systematic. It needs to be proportionate. It needs to be according to what God has blessed you with. But it's, all, it's also not just about money. It's about our time. It's about any resource. We need to give all that, not reluctantly, not sparingly, but, but cheerfully. And God, the giver of all good things, is pleased not just with the size of our joy, not just God, the giver of all good things, is pleased with the size of our joy, not just the size of our gift. God would choose a small gift with big joy over a big gift with small joy any day of the week, because big joy is rooted in a belief in a big God. So the question is, how big is your God? And that's a question that really can't be answered with words alone. It's a question that has to be answered with action. Today we've given you commitment cards. And there's different commitments on there that you can make. And nobody's going to follow up with you. You know, we're not going to hold you, you know, to it uh, personally. That's, this is something that's between you and God. We just kind of want to know what kind of decisions people are making. So maybe the, the first commitment you need to make is giving your tithe to the church. Sometimes our spending habits make that impossible. So one of the things that we're doing is we're offering a financial peace class starting August 5th. So you can sign up for that. I'd encourage you, whatever works for you, to find a way to give your tithe. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be launching here pretty soon is online giving. You'll be able to do that. Another thing that I would recommend if you have a hard time setting it aside is set up automatic payments with your bank. It doesn't matter how you do it, but find something that works for you, a system that works for you to give on a regular basis. But, but talk to God about that first. Maybe your commitment needs to be giving offerings to organizations outside the church. Maybe you already give your 10%. Um, we have missions that we support. They're out there in the, in the hallway on the board. And uh, there's a lot of them. There's so many things that we can give to. You can sponsor uh, a child uh, through uh, Todd Gill, and that's Tim and Terry's son. You can sponsor a child through them, and, and you could even go to Africa and visit them if you wanted to. Uh, there's so many great missions out there, One Family, One Purpose, you know, organizations that started with people from this church, and, and there's other great missions out there to support. So maybe go beyond just your, your regular tithe. Maybe it means giving your time to the church. Maybe for you, you just need to commit to being here on a regular basis, to, to being committed to church uh, more than just the once every great once in a while. That, that's a commitment, and that's a good one. But also, we need people within the church serving. We need teachers and, and handymen and, and people to make communion. All those things go into what we do here as a church, and we need help with that. Maybe it means getting actively involved with mission trips, You know, going to Mexico or, or going to other mission trips. Maybe it means... Um, getting involved with, with another mission right here in this community. 
but maybe that's what it looks like to you. But I don't know what God has placed on your heart today. Um, but I want you to consider, what is God calling you to be more generous with? But something we can't forget is that love is at the center. It says at the very end of this, thank God for His inexpressible gift. Well, His inexpressible gift is His Son. He spared no expense because He loves you, because He cares for you. He sent His own Son for you. And so we love the poor because we recognize that, man, we're all poor. We love the lost because we recognize that without Jesus, we'd all be lost. We love each other also so the, work, the church can continue its work. So ask God today, pray to Him and ask Him, you know, God, what is it that you want me to do? What step do you want me to take towards generosity? Commit to doing it and follow through and do it.